It's lovely to see everyone here this morning again. Let me pray before we start. Our great, uh, our great God, we um, come to a passage of your word this morning that really uh, peers into the deep things of this universe, of this world. But we're also very aware that in our own hearts there uh, is distraction, there is our own sinfulness. Uh, uh, Lord, we pray this morning that you will uh, give us hearts that are soft to your word. Give us the ability to hear and understand uh, and to put into practice these things. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Easter uh, has come and gone, right? It's been big for us at Trinity South Coast, Easter, but it's come and gone. And for many of us, for many people, it's one of those handful of times through the year uh, when Jesus gets a second thought, isn't it? Uh, Along with Christmas... Uh, But even then, uh, Jesus seems to be increasingly crowded out by the noise, doesn't he, of, uh, you know, big guys in red suits or fluffy bunnies. Um, Jesus has been getting a little bit of press on the south coast recently. Uh, But even that, even that is confined to talking about how accurate a musical production is. Uh, The world, it seems, the world can just go on. Um, without any reference to Jesus, even among people who claim Jesus' name, among Christian people, Jesus can often fade into the distance. Uh, And as Jesus kind of gets sidelined more and more and pushed off into the distance out of view, it seems to me very hard not to feel his smallness, if we're honest. I wonder if you've ever felt this uh, smallness of Jesus, this feeling that he he is insignificant for life in the 21st century. Well, last week we started reading through this incredible letter to the Colossians, this amazing letter, Uh, this ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul to this small group of Jesus followers in a place called Colossae. And friends, here's the thing, and it's critical that we see this. Uh, These first readers of this letter would have felt these same kind of pressures as we do, these first readers of this letter. It was about 30 years since Jesus was around, but he hadn't caused any great political change. Now, the, 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 the grip of the Roman Empire was still very much in force. Uh, in fact, for the next 250 years, Jesus' followers would be sidelined and at times severely persecuted. And they themselves weren't much of an impre- a very impressive bunch either. <laughs> uh, on the whole, it seemed that Jesus attracted not uh, high-powered politicians and businessmen, but the poor and the marginalised. It must have been, it seems to me, very tempting, very tempting for this small group of nobodies to, th- to not think that Jesus himself, at the end of the day, was a bit of a nobody. He'd been, crucif- he'd been executed in the most humiliating way within living memory. If you look up at the screen, there should be a, uh, a little image coming up there. Flick out into the next screen. Um, you may have seen this before. It's a piece of ancient graffiti, and it was done probably uh, within a couple of generations of this letter being written. If you can't make it out, flick to the next screen, and uh, it should be clearer. It's intentionally mocking a Christian man called Alexamenos, Uh, It pictures him worshipping a donkey nailed to a cross, and underneath it is written in the Greek and says, 
Alexamenos worships his God. And you can, the, the, the kind of sarcasm, the ridicule just droops off it, doesn't it? Uh, you, the thought that you'd worship someone who'd been crucified, well, Jesus, for, this, for the guy who did this graffiti, Jesus was no more than a crucified donkey. And it's crazy to worship him. It's crazy. So it's in this climate, and maybe you can see some sort of parallels to 21st century Australia. It's in this climate where Jesus was in irrelevance to this small group of nobodies squashed into someone's living room, reading this letter, uh, squashed into someone's living room to worship, to worship a crucified saviour, that Paul writes these stunning words. I'm, I'm going to read it out, them out again, friends, and it's helpful to perhaps this time just keep that background in mind. To this group facing these pressures, Paul writes... The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It is a stunning thing to write, isn't it? to this small group of nobodies. <laughs> it is stunning. Can you imagine sitting in that lounge room for the very first time when everything around you would pressure you to make you feel like Jesus was in irrelevance? When the world just went on without any reference to him, in the face of all that, Paul presents this incredible, it's th- this alternative story of the world. It's a different story of the world. It's so striking, and if it's true, friends, it changes everything. Everything finds its place in this story, in this version of reality, the true version itself, this vision that Paul lays out for us. There is no corner of the universe, no corner of our lives that is not reordered and impacted and driven by this vision. So let's get into it. We're going to look a bit closer at this passage I hope you're looking forward to it. It will help you to have your Bibles open as we sort of work through it. If you have a handout as well, that has an outline of where we're going. Uh, But the first thing Paul tells us in verse 15 is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And what he's saying here has two, two sort of aspects to it. On the one hand, Paul's saying this incredible thing. God can now be physically seen. In the person of Jesus. The invisible has become visible. Jesus is God Himself come into this creation. And when you see Jesus, you see God. And the implications are huge, aren't they? I, I once visited a chapel, uh, a chapel building, and this chapel building had the names of great historical figures all around the, um, the walls, so the high up on the walls, all around the um, the walls, uh, presumably for the people in the chapel service to kind of look up 
to and be inspired by. Jesus was one of them. Okay, he was one of these great names. Uh, but he sort of sat along to, um, alongside them as this inspirational character, someone to follow. But according to Paul here, according to God's word, Jesus is not one among many. He is not one among many. He is not another chapter in a comparative religions textbook. <laughs> he, is not, he doesn't sit alongside Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Muhammad, or anyone else. He is utterly unique. He has no rivals. No one else sits alongside him. He is the image of the invisible God. But on the other hand, on the other hand, this phrase, the image of God, uh, if you've sort of read through your Bibles, you, it, it should be ringing bells for you as well, of the creation story, right? Right back in Genesis 1. Uh, it tells the story uh, that humans were created to be in the image of God, to to reflect God's power and goodness to the world and to each other. And here, Paul claims this incredible claim, Jesus is the image of God. He is what humanity was always meant to be. And so uh, those, these two aspects are important, friends. You can Right from the start, Paul is making this stunning claim. If you want to know the true God, look at Jesus. If you want to know what true humanity looks like, what it means to be human, look at Jesus. He shows us both God and ourselves. The incredible sort of words to start off this, <laughs> this description of Jesus with, aren't they? But he goes on. The firstborn over all creation. Paul takes up this idea and he, he talks about Jesus as the firstborn. Now, the firstborn has to do with inheritance. I'm not a firstborn. I'm the youngest of four kids and so I have to knock off three of my siblings to get to the top. I'm working on it. Uh, but back in, the, back in the bad old days, right, um, or perhaps for you it's the good old days, the firstborn was the one who would inherit the father's estate. Uh, he would inherit the family estate. And you could say that in a real sense, the estate belonged to that firstborn. It belonged to them. And there would come a day when what belonged to them by right would belong to them in reality. <laughs> it would actually belong to them. Uh, any, any firstborns here, by the way? Uh, raise your hand. Uh, good on you. <laughs> they were good old days for you, right? Uh, Jesus being the firstborn over creation uh, means that creation belongs to him. It belongs to him like a father's house belonged to his firstborn. His ownership isn't complete yet, uh, but it's real, it's certain, and there will come a day when his ownership over this house is complete and uncontested. And it really is, this, this house that Jesus is the inheritor of, it really is all things. Do you notice as we read through there, if you read, read on, uh, Paul sort of bends over backwards to make this point. All things belong to Jesus. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, up, down, big, small, front and back. You know, in other words, truly, really, really, all things. You know, really, truly. Everything. From verse 17 onwards, uh, from verse 17, he is before all things and all things hold together in him. Everything that exists, exists by him and through him and for him. It has its 
origin, its, its, its existence, its destiny in him, in Jesus. Well, it's hard to see what else Paul could say about Jesus, isn't it? You know, we're sort of, at this point, maybe we should just close up the letter. He gives this incredible, awe-inspiring account of who Jesus is, the Lord over all creation. What else could you say about him? Well, Paul does say more, and it's a bit like those, uh, I don't know if you remember, the ads in the 90s, the Demtel ads. If anyone remember the Demtel, uh, there was a guy who um, was on these ads called Tim Shaw. They're ringing bells, Tim Shaw. He'd come on and try and convince people that more than anything in the world they needed the you know, the Abskimmer 2000 or whatever it was. Uh, and then right at the end, just when you thought you couldn't get any better, <laughs> he'd come out with the line that he, he was famous for. Remember what it was? Was this a South Australian thing or was it just New South Wales? It was. But wait, there's more. That's right. But wait, there's more. Well, uh, you know, at the risk of trivialising it, Paul's doing a little bit of a Tim Shaw here. But <laughs> uh, the, the wait, there's more... I mean, it's, you know, it's just infinitely greater than a set of steak knives, right? If you skim through the second half, verses 18 to 20, you'll notice some parallels with the first half that we just looked at. Things like the firstborn in 15 and 18, the fullness of God in verse 19 sort of echoes the, um, the image of God at the start. He talks about all things throughout, the, throughout both. Now, what is going on here with Paul repeating these ideas and these words? He's making it clear that what he's going on to talk about in these verses is every bit as significant and wonderful and huge as what he's just talked about. This new thing, this but wait, there's more thing, is just as amazing as the creation of the whole universe through Jesus and for him. Here are the two most important moments in history. The creation of the universe and... Well, let's read on. Jesus is the supreme Lord of everything that is, and from verse 18, and he is the head of the body. I wonder what you'd expect to come next. Uh, the exalted Lord of all things is now the head of the Roman Empire, the head of the United States government, uh, the head of Google. No, this king of creation, Paul says, is the head of the body, the church. This great new thing, this thing that is every bit as important as the first creation, is the church. And when we read church, friends, we shouldn't think of a formal institution. Uh, the word just means something like the gathering. You see, the body that Jesus is the head of is that small, unimpressive gathering of believers in Colossae squashed into someone's living room, listening to this letter being read out to them. Well, let's read on uh, verse, eight, uh, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's an important background to what Paul is writing here. Uh, He touches on it when he mentions the cross in verse 20. You see, if the first half of this passage is true, this incredible description of who Jesus is, the Lord of everything, then something has gone terribly wrong, right? Hasn't something gone terribly wrong that we could, that the first readers of this letter, that we could be in a situation where the great king of everything is not acknowledged as such, where he is marginalised, where he is written off as small, as an irrelevance, as a joke. Something has gone wrong. The Bible's story lets us in on this great tragedy. The reason we don't see Jesus for who he is is that from the first we have put ourselves in his place. We put ourselves in his place. We claim to be rulers over our world and in doing so we reject the world's one true ruler. And that rejection brings with it pain and conflict and death and it was into that situation that this wonderful king, this Jesus, came. When he came, people that should have... I mean, if the first half of this sentence is true, people should have fallen down in awe before him. But those people continued in their pride. And eventually, according to the real story of Easter, you know the story, mocked him and spat on him and killed him. Of course he could have stopped it with a word, but he chose to go through it because it was the only way. It was to do what he came to do. In his death, he was fixing up and reconciling this broken world back to himself. There's a few more things to pull out of this passage that that we need to pull out and look at. Just like Jesus was the firstborn, uh, just like he was the firstborn, the inheritor over all creation, Here, the firstborn, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. You see, Jesus didn't stay dead. Of course, he rose again. And in his resurrection, he became the firstborn, the inheritor of a new thing. A new thing, a new group of those who join in his resurrection from the dead. See, friends, that is the significance of this little, unimpressive, laughable gathering in Colossae. Because they had Jesus as their head, this resurrection power was at work in their lives, transforming them and giving them hope, giving them hope that like Jesus was raised to new life, they would be raised to new life in a new creation. But this thing that Jesus has done isn't just for those who believe in him. Did you notice as you read through, it's cosmic. All things... Jesus has brought about this new thing, not just for his followers, but the entire creation. Verse 19, he has reconciled all things to himself, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And friends, there is an obvious tension here, isn't there? Uh, if Jesus has really done this if on, his, on the cross in his death, he, he has made peace, he has reconciled everything to the Father. That's not our present experience now, is it? It's not our present experience. We... Paul doesn't go into that tension here. Uh, He's not talking about how this can be true, but simply that it is true. 
Because Jesus is raised from the dead, he is now Lord of all things, of the creation and of the new creation, of everything that is, everything that was and everything that will be. And friends, the Christian hope that Paul spells out elsewhere and others do too is for a day when what is true in Jesus will be true for the whole world. When this new creation that has begun in Jesus is universal, when everyone will bow to Jesus as Lord, either with great joy as his people or, tragically, with great terror as as those facing his judgment. One way or another, what is now true, what is now true in Jesus, the Lord of all things, will be acknowledged as such by all things, by all people. So, friends, Jesus is, is the Lord of everything that there is, or Lord, the Lord of everything that there will be of the new creation, so that in verse 18, in everything, in everything past, present and future, he might have the supremacy. Well, let's try and tie a few things together. And we need, friends, we need to hold on to this stunning vision of who Jesus is. Uh, this is the reality of things. We're, we're surrounded by stories uh, that uh, tell us how to make sense of the world and how to live in the world. All you need to do is turn on your TV or go to a shopping centre. Um, sort of, all you need to do is breathe, really, <laughs> and you are you are faced with alternative stories about the universe, about what it means to live in this world. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, then this is the true story of the world. Jesus can seem small, but he only seems that way because we don't see things properly. See, Jesus is great in the world. Global politics isn't beyond him, friends. (laughs) It's not beyond him. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, they were all created by him and through him and for him. And there will come a day when they will all acknowledge that. Uh, Jesus is not only great in the world, he is great in his church, in this small group in Colossae. God's new creation was breaking into the world in this little group gathered in someone's living room. You see, despite being surrounded by the incredible force of the Roman Empire, they would have had this pressure of alternate stories about what it means to live in this world. Despite that, this group really was this group gathered in this little lounge room. This group was the centre of world power. This group was the centre, not because they were impressive, but because they had Jesus as their head. And he was... He was gathering people into this place, this gathering, this church, bringing about his purposes for the entire creation. Isn't that stunning? (laughs) And the same is true of us, friends, here today, here on the South Coast. You see, Jesus is Lord of everything, everything that is and everything that will be. And this church, this gathering, is his body. It is his body. He is its head. Church is not something ordinary. 
or unimpressive. It is amazing. It is that community of people that go from from death to life because its head is Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, it matters how we treat this precious gathering over which Jesus is the head. If Paul is right, what is happening here in this in this ordinary, massive, messy, unimpressive group of people, what is happening here is a wonder of unbelievable proportions. It is a precious thing, not something to be taken lightly, not something to undermine. It is a precious thing to rejoice in and treasure and love and care for and commit yourself to. It is the body over which Jesus is the head. And if you're not a Christian, if you haven't acknowledged Jesus for who he is, friends, you need to hear the confronting news that you will, you will one day face Jesus. You will see him for who he is, but please, you also need to hear the wonderful and life-giving news that this Jesus, this creator of all things, made peace through his death for you and offers it today. He is not an oppressive Lord. He is the Lord who dies for his people. Not only the Lord, uh, the only Lord who gives real joy and life and hope. Next week, we're going to keep reading this incredible letter and we're going to dig deeper into this, uh, how this truth about Jesus can take root in our lives. We're, in a moment, we're going to do something that Christians have been doing ever since Jesus, the Lord's Supper. You can see it's set out down here. It's nothing magical. It's a simple, symbolic meal that says something. It says something. It speaks. It speaks of Jesus' death, of his blood shed on the cross, his body broken to make peace for this world. When the bread and juice come round, uh, if you know that you're not living with Jesus as your good Lord, this would be a great opportunity to do something about that. Before, before you think about taking the bread, take Christ. Take Christ. Take him and give him the throne of your heart as your good and loving and powerful Lord. If you do that, please uh, grab me afterwards. Uh, I'll stop any conversation to talk to you. Okay. Uh, but uh, we're going to pray together in response to some of these things. I'm going to pray a prayer now, and maybe you'd like to make this your prayer as well. Uh, perhaps for the first time, maybe for the 50th time, uh, to acknowledge today who Jesus is, <laughs> to acknowledge Jesus as your good Lord, as the Lord of the universe, the Lord of everything that there was, that is, and is to come. Uh, that prayer should come up on the screen. I'll, I'll just pray it. You don't need to say it out loud. Uh, the words are up on the screen. Uh, if you'd like to make this your prayer, please uh, join, join with me in your heart to pray to our great Lord. And then, uh, then we're going to um, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray.
Jesus, we praise you as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things were created by you and for you. We confess in our blindness and self-obsession, we have failed to recognise you as our King. Lord, forgive us. We ask this in the certain hope that you are also the head of the body, the church, the firstborn from among the dead, who made peace for us through your death on the cross. We cling to you, Jesus, as the Lord who died and rose for us. And we ask that you enable us to follow you as our King. Amen.